The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org. change the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is our God. This is who he is.
So, have you ever had a week full of Mondays? That, that was my, yeah, that was my week this week. It was a really rough week. Um, and I really struggled to find the point. Um, and I was looking for the lesson. And I never really, like, tried to doubt what God is doing in those weeks or in those moments. Um, am I still there? Okay, there I am. Um, but I was asking God, um, and I got mad, and I kind of stayed mad, and I was pouting, and I, uh, I had some choice words with him, and I kind of felt forgotten, and I struggled, and Friday night something finally broke, and I, I kind of felt that, you know, sometimes maybe have a breakthrough, like something needs to break. And, um, when that happened, some scripture like kind of flooded into me like that night, uh, John one, five light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John twelve twenty four, And I'm actually studying John right now, but I'm in John, um, John chapter one, and I really camp in what I'm studying. Uh, John twelve twenty four. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Friday night, something broke, and um, and so I, w- I want to have some participation on this right right here because this is kind of what I was doing. But I'll, I'm going to start a song. Don't stop. Okay, everyone. Know, most everyone knows that. Okay, uh, here's another test. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Very good. Um, so Jesus says that on the cross, but that's not where it originally comes from. It comes in Psalm 22. Um, in Psalm 22:1, he says, uh, David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. And that's kind of how I felt this week. Um, And so Jesus, while he's on the cross, he kind of sings, you know, the Psalms are kind of like the top 40, you know, the 100 top billboard hits, and that's what... Don't stop believing is right. Everyone knew that, and you guys sing it. That's what the Psalms are. And when Jesus says this, everyone knows that. They're like, "I know this song," and he's reminding everyone of what God's about to do. And at the end of that song, of that Psalm, Psalm twenty-two, it says, "For he has not despised or bore the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard." When he cried to him, those who seek him shall praise the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for the kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. And we know that Psalm 23 follows right after God is near us guys in our darkest days in our weeks of Mondays. He is near us. And he's not forgotten you. He's with you when things are about to break. He's there. 
and he's not forsaken you. And I just want to remind you guys of that today. If you feel like something's about to break, it's because there's a breakthrough coming. And I just want to remind you of that. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are with us. You are here with us right now. And so when we have times where we're fighting against you, when we are not sure where you are, Lord, remind us that you are right with us. Lord, in the silence and the chaos, when everything seems to be crashing in, Lord, remind us that you are with us, Lord. We're seeking you right now, Lord, knowing that you're right there. We love you, we praise you, and worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're stuck, and there's lots of moving, but not really much change. I, I kind of think about these moving sidewalks and airports. When you're going one way, when you're going with them, those things are awesome, man. You you know, three strides and you're half a mile down the thing. But if you're going against the grain, you're not going to get very many places. A treadmill. I mean, you can go 20 miles and never leave your living room. You know, it, it's lots of effort, not much movement. Sometimes it's a diet. You've worked hard. You keep doing the things, but you, you cut back everything and you, you haven't noticed much change. Maybe it's, maybe it's in your relationships. You keep trying to restore the marriage, but nothing seems to work. Maybe it's in your prayer life. You keep trying, but it seems like they bounce off the ceiling. Maybe it's your finances. No matter what you do, no matter how much you save, something always comes up. If you've ever been in one of those situations where you're stuck, I believe God has a message today. And I pray you're listening. We're in this series called Emmaus Code. If you were not with us last week, I highly encourage you to go back and and listen to that. It bases all of this out of Luke 24 and verse 27, when Jesus is walking along the road on these two guys on their way to Emmaus. And and he said, and scripture says, he opened the scriptures and he started with Moses and the prophets explaining how the scriptures talked about himself. And so that's why it's kind of the basis of all of that. He explained what the scripture said about himself. We need to understand that Jesus was a part of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We will see types and shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Maybe not his name, but his character laying it out there and his, his love all in the New Testament so that we can understand Scripture. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 6. I hope you have your Bibles. How many of you brought your Bibles? Lift them up, lift them up. We want to be a Bible-believing and a bible Using church, Joshua chapter 6. Last week we started talking about Moses because what he said is beginning with Moses and the prophets. So we're starting here and following up with Joshua in chapter 6 and verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. 
When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people <clears throat> have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. So Joshua called together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day and then everyone returned to spend the night in camp. It's one of the most famous VBS stories of all time. It's the walls of Jericho. You make it out of cardboard. You draw the little bricks on it. You march around it seven times. And on the last one, you kick it down. Now, I know that's not biblical, but it, it, it's fun. All right. And that's how we do it. But how is Joshua a foreshadowing of Jesus? And I mean this respectfully. What does it matter? Let's see if we can answer both of those questions right there. The first one, Joshua, his name is a Greek version of Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. It means the Lord saves. Joshua was God's chosen leader. He was chosen to follow after Moses. Where we first meet Joshua is in the battle of Amalek. Now, you may not remember all of it, but I bet you do remember it. First of all, it's in Exodus 17, and it is directly after where Moses strikes the rock. If you were with us last week, that's how we started this, as Moses struck the rock, and that was where we looked at this foreshadowing of Jesus. This is the very next story, and it's the battle of Amalek. And you may not remember all that, but there's this one battle where Moses went up on a hill and raised his hands, and the army went down. Well, it's that battle. It's that battle of Amalek, and Joshua was down there leading the army. That's where we're introduced to him. Moses is up on the hill. His arms start to get tired, so they come along, and they get people underneath him, and they prop him up, and there's a powerful message there. But Amalek, I believe, was a real person. He was the grandson of Esau, who also, I believe, was a real person. But there is a metaphoric lesson here as well. Amalek and the Amalekites are often symbolizing natural man, selfish man. Look at Esau versus Jacob and Amalek and the Amalekites are a very selfish people. They look for the answers within themselves. So many times when he's talking about the Amalekites, he's really talking about human nature and, and our selfish nature. And if you go back and look in Exodus 17, God did not wipe out Amalek. But later on in Deuteronomy 25, he tells the Israelites, you need to blot that people out from the earth. Get rid of them. Erase them. We don't want them on the planet anymore. Well, how is that a foreshadowing of Jesus? Jesus steps down from heaven and follows Moses as well. Moses' law and Jesus' law of grace comes in. We talked about that last week. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say, don't even have hate in your heart. And he takes Moses' law, and he is God's chosen Savior. 
And if you really want to get specific about it, when he is on that cross, he did not wipe out the flesh. But Paul comes along in Romans and says, we need to put to, de- put to death the deeds of the flesh. And I think all of us could agree there is coming a time when flesh is going to get blotted out, okay? And, and selfish nature, there's coming a time where it will be erased from the planet. And you might say, okay, I see a little bit of Jesus in Joshua, but why does it matter? We said this last week, when we see Christ in the Old Testament, it'll remind us that Jesus was plan A all along. I love this quote from St. Augustine, probably going to show it a lot during this series. In the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. And I'm going to keep saying this. We need to see what the Israelites missed. I'm going to confess, I'm really hard on the Israelites. I gripe at them all the time. How did you miss this? And when, I, when you're looking in the Old Testament, you see all of these visions of Jesus. And if you've ever gone through a Passover Seder, anybody, anybody done that? Anybody sat through a Passover Seder? Once you go through that, you just kind of want to be mad at the Israelites. Like, how did you miss this? Jesus is all through that thing. Well, here's why I think this is a, an important study. The Messiah was shown to them, was told to them, was foretold to them, was prophesied to them, and they missed it. But we have him. We have his word. We have the comforter, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have all of those things. And and yet many times, don't we Christ followers miss his power? Don't we miss his impact in our families and our life? That's what I want to learn on this. I don't want to just study Old Testament, New Testament. I want to see what they missed, and I want to make sure I'm not missing it. So let's go back. Look at the text in verse 1. In verse 1, it says, the town is shut up tight. Now, if you look up here, you'll figure out Joshua, or excuse me, Jericho, the walls of Jericho were multiple walls. They had at least two walls. It started down here on the ground. There was a retaining wall and rock and brick. And that first wall uh, was anywhere from uh, 12 to 15 feet high. And it could have been as far as, excuse me, six to 10 foot thick. That's the first wall. Okay. And then you see this area in between there, there are some houses in there. And we know from other passages back to the second chapter that Rahab has a house that is in that section. In fact, that's where she hangs a little rope out the side and, and, and we see it. So she's in that area there. That's where the poor people or the outside people were put. And then on in anywhere from 15 to 50 feet was this later was the second wall and it could have been as high as 30 or 40 feet tall it could have been as as high as thick as six or six to 15 feet thick so this is a serious wall and the rich people and the leaders were inside the inner wall they had a stream of a live stream that fed the the community with water they had storehouses in there and And it's powerful, but think for a second, you're one of these people that are walking down here on the edge. You're looking up and you're not just seeing a 10 foot wall, but the distance of that is going to be pretty dramatic. True. It could be as much as a 15 story building and it's all fortified and it would be very easy to walk around there and go, man, there is no way that thing is falling down. 
Now, like I said, they had full storage houses. They were a spring-fed well. Why then are they so afraid? Put your finger in chapter 6, flip back over or scroll back up to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 8 is the story of Rahab. And Rahab and these spies have come in to spy out Jericho. Look in verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made you made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you did, what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. That's why they're scared. Now flip back over to chapter 6 because that's where we're going to stay. And and look closely at verse 2. I'm reading it from the in, uh, New Living Translation. In verse 2 of chapter 6 it says, The Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho. But in the NIV, if you're reading from the NIV, it'll say something like this. See, I have given you this land. See, I've given you this land. But put yourself in one of those guys marching around that humongous wall. Would it be easy to say, I don't see it. (laughs) I don't see how you've given us this land. I see a, a humongous enemy. I can't see it at all. Friends, you got to understand, these are Israelites that had been in bondage in Egypt for a long time. God brought them out of Egypt. But he's trying to get the Egypt out of them. He's trying to get the selfishness and the the self-focused out of them. In fact, he says, I have given, have given. He says it present tense, that the future is now. (laughs) He said, I've given this to you. And what I think God is trying to teach them and teach us, he's trying to get us to see with our eyes of faith, not with our physical eyes and not with our feelings. Because it probably didn't feel like they were going to win. It probably didn't feel like, man, this, this is, we're not going to be able to get into that town. Why do we gripe at them for not seeing God when too many times we do the same thing? A stronghold is something, in fact, in earlier it says this place is a stronghold, I'm talking about Jericho. We are like ants. We can't win. A stronghold is a false premise set up against the authority of God. What it means is it's maximizing the problem and minimizing the power of God. And if that is a stronghold, and I'm marching around this town, and that place is a stronghold like Jericho, let me ask you this. What is your personal Jericho? Maybe you're sitting there right now in that chair, and you're saying God could never forgive me. And you're dealing with a stronghold of guilt. Or maybe it's a stronghold of resentment. I could never forgive that person for what they did to me or for what they did to my kids. And you hang on to that resentment. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a stronghold of self-pity. Some of you sit there and you go, nothing ever goes right for me. Bad things always happen to me. I can't find the right man. I can't find the right woman. I can't find the right job. Everything seems to go bad. 
Maybe it's the stronghold of performance. I got to do more things. I've just got to get more done. Maybe it's the stronghold materialism. I want to work harder so I can get more stuff, so I can show that I'm a success. Or maybe it's the stronghold of rejection. I'll never get over this addiction. I'll never get over this divorce. I'll never get over this broken thing that I have dealt with. Marie talked about perseverance and and speaking God's word into those parts. Most of us don't recognize those things as strongholds. And and we we try to pretty them up. And we say, well, that's just one of my weaknesses. That's just my personality. We try to, to, to pretty it up. But if we're not careful, it becomes a stronghold of our enemy. And he eats at us with bitterness and jealousy and, and selfishness. What is your personal Jericho? Now look real close at verse 8. At verse 8, it says, Uh, After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. Now, this is huge to me. Some of the other versions say they marched behind the trumpets, but the New Living says they marched in the presence of the Lord. Now, look how that laid out. You have these guys with horns, and there's some army guys up there, and then there is the Ark of the Covenant, and then there's some more horns and some more army guys and the community people Look at what is in the middle of all of that, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is usually represents the presence of God. Friends, is the presence of God in the center of your attack on a personal Jericho? Or is it, as Franklin said, a self-help book? I'm just going to try to work harder and get through it. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. I really, I really believe God is showing this to me that I need to let the Lord go ahead of me. He goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Deuteronomy 130, the one we read earlier, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Psalm 139, you go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. That song defender, you you go before I know. You are my great defender. I want to speak the name of Jesus. Why is this so hard for us to get this verse ingrained in us? I'm afraid sometimes it's because we see movement in our life, but no change. Now look real close at verse 10 and 11. Now this may be just me and my craziness, but look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10, do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in camp. So be quiet, walk, and return to camp. Question, Josh... Uh, back here in the back. Um, that's it. We just walk around. That sounds kind of dumb. Yeah, that's what we're doing. In fact, meet back here tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll do it all again tomorrow. What? I thought this was a war. We're, we're, we're going for walks today. What is the deal here? Let me ask you, what is the hardest part? Let's say you're going to go on a seven day 
fast or a seven-day workout or something that's seven days in a row, a seven-day event that's just going to be a long, long, hard event. What is the hardest day? Now, it may be different for all of you, but it would be easy for me to say, well, is the first day the hardest? I don't know. Sometimes you got a lot of energy. You know, okay, I can do this, right? Is it the last day? Well, you're fatigued and you're tired, but there's part of you that says, you know what? There's the finish line. All I got to do is get to the finish line. You know what I think might be the hardest? Wednesday. What's happening on Wednesday? Doubt, fatigue, exhaustion. How do you make it through this? What happened on Wednesday of that week? There's no talking. There's no horns. I mean, there's just, there's just the horns. Are they seeing any progress? I would submit probably not. They're just walking around the town. They may be even getting made fun of. But they keep going. And what do they do when they get back to camp? Hey, man, do you get this? I think Joshua's lost his mind, uh, personally. I think this is the stupidest army plan I've ever heard in my life. I, could that be going on? Joshua doesn't know what he's doing. You know why? That's natural. That is the natural man to want to question everything. And when we don't know what's going on, we want to complain. You know what's not natural? Obedience. That's not natural. That is against our nature. But he's saying, keep going. Don't give up. Why do you think God had them do this in this manner? Seven days doing the same thing, and it's all weird. Friends, my idol of control wants it my way. Anybody? And surrender goes completely opposite of that. And if you're a picture taker, get this one, friends. You cannot expect God to be the source of your peace If the world is the source of your satisfaction. A lot of people come running to church and we sing our songs. Then we go back out there and we're working and we can't figure out why our job won't work. And so we come running back to God, fix everything. God, fix everything. He's saying, you're not seeking me first. You're making lots of money. You're making lots of contacts. But are you doing, are you putting me first? You're not going to find satisfaction In this world. About an hour north of Rome, y'all look this up, sits a place, a restaurant called the Solo Perdu. Translated, it means just for two. This is no ordinary restaurant. It claims to be the smallest restaurant in the world. But every night they have fireworks. They they have champagne. They have candles. Uh, You don't have a waiter anywhere visible. You have on your table a silver bell, a pure silver bell. You ring. This guy magically appears, bring you anything you want, come back. The meal starts at $600. I probably won't be eating there anytime soon. And it's booked almost a year in advance. So get on it quick, okay? There are no pop buys. Oh, let's go see if they have an opening. Nope, no. In fact, they don't even tell you the location until you have booked it and paid for it. They don't tell you their names. But after you've booked it and paid for it, then they start interviewing you and finding out what you want. Because this restaurant only serves one meal at lunch and one meal at dinner. And each one has two attendants. That's it. 
The owner in the article is on CNN. You can look at it and they have pictures of it. It says, we offer a unique dining experience that is intimate and personalized. They wouldn't even give their names. They just said they were the owners. One lunch and one dinner per day. You might look at that. I just love quirky, weird stories like that. But I look at that and I get to thinking, sometimes that sounds a lot like how we approach our relationship with God. I want it the way I want it. (laughs) I want to ring my little bell. I want you to come and fix all of my things. I want it the way I want it, how I want it, when I want it. It's all about me. But Joshua is setting us up to point at Jesus to to see that it is not about us. It is about him. Now go on, look down and, and what happens to the walls of Jericho? Joshua chapter six, go down to verse 20. I'm gonna save you a little bit from verse 11 to 19. It tells the story of the other seven days. But pick up with me in verse 20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said, go to the two spies. I said to the two spies, go keep your promise. Did the walls get weak? Did the situation change over the week? No. They kept doing the same thing and then the walls collapsed. Friends, one of the biggest challenges I think we face in being Christ followers is walking by faith when we don't see a lot of change. Will we continue to walk by faith? It's the fifth day around Jericho, your elbow and your buddy, and you're going, this is dumb. We're not making any progress. Everybody's laughing at us. Friends, you are facing the walls of your own personal Jericho, and it may not be changing as you see, but there is a lot going on behind. And God is working in your heart during that time. Can you change those walls? Absolutely. But you got to let God give the marching orders and stop doing it our way. I, I think faith's a lot like a crock pot and we want a microwave. You know what crock pot, you know, slow and slow, keep those spices in there. Let get, let that flavor get in there. We want the popcorn button minute and a half, bam, boom, there we are. I want the faith. No, he is trying to grow in us faith. And I want you to see another similarity here on who helped Joshua and Jesus. Now, if you follow this story along, Joshua goes, says, go in there, kill everybody, except that one house, that one house of Rahab. Now, Rahab. Who is this Rahab person? The only Rahab I know in scripture is that one that has the last name Rahab, the harlot. Couldn't be that Rahab. That's exactly who that Rahab is. A Rahab that has a past that if you go back to the second chapter, makes a deal with these spies that says, hey, I'll help you out, but you got to protect my family. And they said, anybody you want alive, you get them in this house. One of those houses that's against that edge. And, he, and she hung a little red rope out the side of it. And they went in there and they protected them. A woman with a past. Do you realize one of Jesus' greatest assets, one of his greatest helpers, was a lady named Mary from Magdala? A woman that had a past. 
Now, a lot of us look at God and say, but you don't understand, Don, I messed up. Friends, just because you have a past, you still have a purpose. You may feel stuck and nothing is moving and you're trudging along. Remember why we are here. We are here to L1 and L2, love God, love others. Amen? Amen. Seems like you've heard that somewhere before. One more thing and I'll close. In the reign of Oliver Cromwell in England in 1653, there was a, a called the War of the Three Kings. And in that war, they, they were running out of silver. They didn't have any silver to make coins and to make bullets. So Cromwell sent out his aides in the countryside, go find silver anywhere you could find it. And so he, they went out and they were gone for a week. They came back and they said, sir, we can't find any. The only silver we have found is inside the statues of the saints that are in the cathedrals all over London. And he said, good, go melt down those saints and get them back into circulation. And I think there's something really powerful about that. Now, some of you look at that. Oh, we don't like taking down statues. Okay, I get it. But get them back into circulation. Are you getting the the metaphor here? He didn't design us to sit in here. He designed us to be out there loving God and loving others. If we're going to see the Old Testament and the New Testament as one testament, we got to understand the purpose has always been from the beginning to the end to show us his love for us through Jesus. We need to tell that story. We need to get out of here and love God and love others. We're going to sing just a little bit more of that. I speak Jesus last night. We were getting ready. In fact, we were doing the rehearsals and we got to this, this bridge that says, speak Jesus over my family. And right when we were singing it, these doors opened and Brian Cox and and Brian and Sarah and their girls, kids, all three of their kids came in and they were coming out here and everything. It just, just overwhelmed me. Speak Jesus over our family. Speak Jesus Jesus over our enemies. Speak Jesus over our Jerichos. Speak Jesus over our kids zone. Speak Jesus over those family problems. Speak Jesus over the health issues. Speak Jesus. And let's get back into circulation. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.